All right. Hey, welcome back for some of you. We have not seen you in a year, and you are looking good. You are. You're looking good. You should have been wearing a mask a long time ago. Some of you guys, man, it is, uh, it is really helping everything. Hey, uh, seriously, there are some of you who are here today, and um, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, uh, where uh, individuals who come in and say, you know what, it's been a whole year uh, since I've been able to uh, be out. Saw Mr. Jim Green and his uh, great wife this morning. It was great to see them. And I know there are others of you who are here, and we welcome you. Those of you who are still watching online, we are looking forward to the day that more and more of you are going to be able to join us and to, to be a part of things that are going on here on our campus. And we just continue to praise God that the COVID numbers are going lower. We're thankful for uh, the vaccine and for uh, the hope that that is going to give individuals. And so again, just great to be able to see people. Hey, look, we even have, uh, we have people that came all the way from Oklahoma to be here today. Douglas Crossan is here. Douglas and his family, they were here. He's in the back waving. Uh, Douglas was here with his family years ago and moved off and came back in today. And so glad to have him. And hey, wherever else it is that you guys are, are from, we are so thankful to, um, to have you with us. Uh, we also have with us today Kristen Adair. She is um, going to be a new youth minister we're going to have on staff. She and her family are with us. Kristen, give us a big wave. There she is, right there, folks. We told you she was coming. She's going to be uh, graduating in May, and we're excited about that and looking forward to um, her being here with us full time. And I think she was in town looking for places to stay and places to eat. So it was a good, it was a good weekend uh, for her. We hope it's been a good weekend for you guys. Uh, you know, we have been talking about this idea of interruption for the last couple of weeks, and we have done so in order to try to figure out what did Jesus know that allowed him not to break up when life broke in? I mean, what, what kept him calm? Because like you and me, Jesus was constantly being interrupted by people and circumstances. But unlike you and me, Jesus did not break up, and he did not go spiraling out of control. And so the question is, what's the secret sauce? What is it that Jesus knew? And sometimes we come to a situation like this, and we look at it, and we're like, well, but Jesus was God, and so that's why he was able to keep his cool, and, and that's why he wasn't um, always getting angry. And, but, but that means that perhaps you and I can't emulate him, if that's the case. It was just his God side that was able to do these things. And so we've gone over the last few weeks, and we've looked at some pictures from the Gospels, and, and you can go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can begin to see certain attitudes of Jesus that begin to come very clear. First, we've already said that Jesus refused to see people as interruptions, right? He knew the incredible value of each person. He understood that people were treasures from God, and because he saw them this way, he did not look at other individuals as being bothersome. They were not a source of stress, but they were a source of joy. And he also saw, he saw these interruptions as opportunities. Intrusions on his time were occasions to share the message of God. They were opportunities to show God-like compassion. These moments provided opportunities to display God-like power. And he recognized that every moment and every person was precious. And it's why he responded the way that he did. It's why he acted how he did when constantly individuals were mourning more time and there were all these crowds that were coming. And when you had these different religious leaders who were saying, wait a minute, I got another question in the back. Let me ask you something. He didn't spiral out of control. And as we saw last week, a lot of it had to do with the fact that he trusted that God was in control. 
And so instead of getting all bent out of shape when something did not go according to his will or it wasn't on his calendar, he trusted in the sovereign will of God. Because Jesus believed that interruptions provide moments for all of us to see what God knows that we have been missing. And it's this aspect that we're going to dig down on a little bit more this morning because, look, while I really believe that God wants all of us to be able to see the needs of the people and the moments that interrupt our life each day, I also believe that that he wants us to see our greatest need. And that means that there are days when God's going to interrupt your life in order to show you what you've been missing. All right, take out your Bibles, find Luke chapter 14. First person that gets there goes, woohoo! Okay, that way we know. And I'm going to wait to see who's actually going to look it up. There we go. All right, we're there. Luke chapter 14, Jesus was invited to the home, it says, of a prominent Pharisee. And while he was there, he interrupts the moment to provide healing for a man who was there in attendance. Now understand, it was not unusual for the sick and needy to gather up around the homes of the Jewish leaders in hopes of perhaps receiving some type of aid from them. But the other attendees at this particular meal, they were too busy trying to get the best seats around the table that they didn't pay any attention to the unhealthy man. But because, as we've already noted, every person, every moment was precious to Jesus, well, he touched the sick man and he healed him and then, and then he sent him on his way. And then knowing that this moment, it was an opportunity to show the people who were in attendance how they were missing something, he tells a parable that is called the Great Banquet. Now, when you see the image of a banquet used in Scripture, it is used metaphorically. And this banquet metaphor is all about the place where God addresses the deepest needs of his people. It's where God really digs down, and this is where God says, look, this is where fulfillment is. And so you see Jesus talking about this in different parables, but you see it more literally in the Passover meal. And you see it more literally in the Last Supper, in the marriage supper of the Lamb and Revelation. The, the banquets were places where, where God would meet the deepest needs of his people, where people could come, they could be filled, and they would be fulfilled. So in this parable, you have a master, you have this king-type individual who represents God, and he invites many people to come to his feast. This is where the needs are going to be met. And once the food is ready, well, he sends out his servant and says, look, all things are ready. Come to the feast. But the people apparently were no longer hungry. Because when you look at your Bibles around verse 18, it talks about how that they all just started making these excuses. Like, like they would like to come. They were going to come. I mean, they had taken the invitation and they had put it up on their refrigerator and they had seen it every day and they were like, oh, I know that that's going to be coming up and we need to be sure that we're prepared for it. But all of a sudden they find out the meal is ready, the feast is on, and it's like, oh, I want to go, but I just, I just can't. And here are the three excuses that are given. Number one, the, the first guy just says, look, I bought a field. Can't come. And this is kind of a reference to personal gain. It's like he says, yeah, you know, we just bought this house. And it's a little bit of a fixer-upper. And I know there's going to be a lot of things we have to do. And, and there's some deadlines because we've got contractors. And, and there are certain things that have to happen by certain dates. And we would love to come to your feast. But we just can't. We can't make it to the banquet. And because this house is now going to keep us full, and, and this house is going to keep us busy, and, and this house is going to satisfy the emptiness that we are feeling in our life. Now look, if you pay attention to commercials in our culture, I think there is something that I, that I would call a presumption of emptiness. A presumption of emptiness. 
And that's where all the advertisements start. There is this presumption of emptiness where if you just had what the advertiser was selling, you would be filled. Right? Whatever it is. If you had it, well, things would be different. And so you're told, look, if you could just drive this car, or if you could just go there for vacation, if you could just wear these clothes, if you could just have that kind of relationship, if you could just eat this kind of food, if you could just drink that kind of beverage, do all of these things and you will be filled. Everything is geared towards that. Because this presumption of emptiness feeds into our consumer-based culture. See, we, we, we're people who are dominated by consumerism. And basically that's the idea that our success and happiness is directly related to our increasing consumption of goods. That's consumerism. So in a consumer-based culture, my happiness and my success directly related to the ever-increasing consumption of goods that I have. So I do, if I don't feel happy, guess what I need to go do? Get some more stuff, right? Or if I do not feel successful, well, that just means that other people are consuming more than I am, and I've got to go do something different. We are told that we are, and we are told that what we do, and we are told that what we value, it's all centered on consumption. And so here's how we deal with it. This is how we deal with this emptiness in our Western culture. We just consume more and more. And so we go on Amazon and we find out what we want. And we have Alexa tell us what to put on our list. And this is what we need. And then once we get it, as long as the porch pirates don't come and steal it, we're like, yes, this is what I want. And then you open it up and it's there for a while and the dog plays with the box. And then you're like, I need something more. And so you get out your tablet and there you start looking again, trying to find something else to consume. Mother Teresa once talked about it this way. She said, spiritual poverty of the Western world is much greater than the physical poverty of our people in Calcutta. You in the West, she said, have millions of people who suffer such terrible loneliness and emptiness. Guys, we consume and we consume because we think if I had just a little bit more, I won't feel empty. But here's what we're discovering. You discovered it maybe a long time ago, or maybe it's just something that your kids are now figuring out. But there is a difference between being full and being fulfilled. I mean, you stuff yourself and you keep consuming and you feel full, but it doesn't last very long, right? And so you've got to consume even more. And so you're just constantly consuming. And God wants to interrupt your life and says, hey, can you just stop for a minute and come to my feast? Stop living as if your identity is centered around what you consume. Let me fulfill you. Sounds like a good deal, right? Well, look at the second excuse that's given. Person says, I just bought five pairs of oxen. Now, that would not be an excuse for me to miss the meal. I just want you to know. I mean, if I'd bought that, I would call up Kevin Lee and say, Kevin, these are yours, all right? I'll just give them away. I don't know what to do with a bunch of oxen, right? But apparently, this guy was pretty, pretty pumped about it. And this is a reference to work and responsibility. It's not that this person doesn't want to come to the banquet. They just can't come because they're too busy. I mean, they just can't go. There's too much work going on. Business is expanding. I just got five more oxen. This is great. They've made this significant investment. They have to keep at it. It's the busy season. They're all full. Their calendar is full. I can't come to the banquet. You know, it was a few years ago that there was an article in the New York Times. And it was called The Busy Trap. And in this particular article, it talked about how that if you lived in the 21st century, 
No doubt you have heard a lot of people tell you just how busy they are. In fact, it's the default response when you ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? <sighs> Man, I am just so busy, right? Hey, how's things going? Man, I'm covered up. I mean, covered up. I don't know where we're going to put one more, one more thing. I mean, it's just crazy busy. I mean, this is just our default response. We're busy all the time. But listen to what the article says. It's very interesting. Busyness serves as a kind of hedge against emptiness. Think about that. Your busyness, my busyness, serves as a hedge against emptiness. They continue, obviously your life cannot be silly or trivial or meaningless if you're so busy. I mean, if you're completely booked and if you're in demand every hour of the day, right? I mean, if people want you all this time, then your life has meaning. They continue, we're busy because of our own ambition, our drive, our anxiety, because we're addicted to busyness and we dread what we might have to face in its absence. Busyness is a hedge against emptiness. We're afraid of what's going to happen. That's why some of you have retired and you were at home and you thought this is going to be great. I'm just going to take it easy. This is going to be enjoyable. And then your spouse says, would you please go find something to do? I mean, you are driving me nuts. You can't sit still. You can't enjoy anything. You're always up and going and up and going. Just go back to work if that's what you need. Our culture, bus busyness is an e epidemic. And we're afraid to slow down because we don't really want to face where everything is going. Have you even noticed God trying to interrupt your work schedule? I mean, have you even seen that in your life? I mean, God trying to get your attention. Have you seen God trying to tell you to slow down? Trying to tell you to delegate? I mean, you've got vacation time piling up, but you're not using it, right? And God sees what this busyness is doing to your health. He sees what it's doing to your marriage. He sees what it's doing to the relationship with your kids. And he sees this better than you do. And so he says, hey, why don't you stop what you're doing and come to my feast? Why don't you just stop what you're doing and come to my feast and, and let me soothe your soul? Are you listening? Or are you too busy to be interrupted by an invitation from God? Hmm. And now he's getting personal, isn't he? Look at the third person. Third person gives this excuse. I just got married. I just got married, and he says, well, you know, I just got married, and my, my wife won't let me come. I mean, actually, that's not in there. That's not what it says. Uh, but, but that's what he meant. I mean, that, that was what he meant. He, he wanted to come, but she just wouldn't let him come. He couldn't. And so he's like, hey, I appreciate the invitation, but I really want to go eat at this table over here because this is the love and marriage table, and this is the table with the cake, and, and this is the table with the celebration, and, and this is where I want to be, and this is going to fill my emptiness. And so I'm just going to have to say no to your banquet. You know, a while back I came across a website, and it listed the top ten most romantic lines from movies. And at this particular time, the number one, the number one most romantic line is vo voted by whoever's on this website was from the movie Jerry Maguire, okay? I know, it wasn't my decision. This was just what he says. And at the end of this movie, you've got this guy who has tried to find fulfillment in a lot of different relationships, and it's just failed. And he's tried to find fulfillment in his job, and he's tried different things, and there's been some success, but there's also been some failure, and there's just something that's still needy within him, and he's just empty. But then he meets Renee Zellweger's character, and they fall in love. And so it all builds up to this moment 
that the actor Tom Cruise looks at her, and you might remember this, looks at her and says, you complete me. Oh, I mean, that's sweet. You complete me. And, and then what happens? Well, the, the movie ends, and, 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 and the reason that the movie ends is because if it kept going, then we would all find out, nope, she don't. <laughs> no, I mean, that's why they ended it, right? I mean, if the movie had kept going, everybody would know, no, she doesn't complete him. That, that doesn't work. I mean, some of you have already found that out. Look, guys, if you look for another person to complete you, you are always going to be disappointed. You're always going to be disappointed. But what happens for a lot of people? We say, oh, man, I found, I found the one. And this one is going to complete me, and, and then it doesn't happen, and they think, well, something must be wrong with him. Or something must be wrong with her. Otherwise, I wouldn't feel empty. And so maybe I just need to go find someone else, because obviously, this person isn't going to complete me, so that means there's somebody else out there, and that person is going to complete me. And so I'm going to, I, I'm just got to realize that I just married the wrong person. I married the wrong person, and there's somebody else out there that is going to complete me. And right there on the counter, beside the divorce papers, is an invitation. You see, the couple knew there was a feast. Now, they'd heard about it a long time ago. They even, when they got married, they talked about the feast. They, they, they talked about how that, you know, we, we both want to attend the feast, but life just got in the way, and, and expectations were violated. And uh, neither one, neither one considered perhaps the fact Perhaps the reason they were having so much trouble around their dinner table was because they had negated to find fulfillment at God's banquet table. Never occurred to them. They just thought the other person was supposed to complete them. And so these invitations to the banquet are all delivered and the people come up with all of these different excuses. Thanks, but no thanks. My cup is full. It's, it's running over. I've got work and now I've got to shop and, and I've just got all this time spent eating and relationships and I'm just, I'm just full of religion. I'm just so full right now. And thank you for inviting me. And, and I know I told you I would come, but I just can't make it. You see, their problem is the same as ours. They just didn't have room for God. No room for God. So the man prepares the banquet. The excuses come in. Sends the servant out. No one's coming. Their cup is already full. So the master says, and get this, and I want you to read it. It's there starting in verse 21. Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor and crippled, the blind and the lame. Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so the house will be full. He says, look, you need to go find people that aren't so full of themselves. You need to go find people who are not so stuffed. And you invite them to come to my table. And here's the scary part, guys. Look at verse 24. Invite them to come and be filled, he says, for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Friends, if you're not open, if you're not open to having your life interrupted by God's banquet invitation then you will never experience fulfillment in this world. Or let's put it another way. If, if we don't have room for God, nothing will satisfy. Nothing. 
Now, now here's where I need to break into this message just a minute and, and make sure that we're all on the same page because you need to understand something. You need to understand that the invitation that we're talking about, the invitation that, that Jesus is telling this parable about, this is not an invitation to come to church. Church is not the feast. But you can smell the dinner when you get here, right? And, and small group is not the feast, but it whets your appetite. And ministry teams and service projects and, and mission trips, these are not the feasts that God calls you to, even though by participating in those, you can see the people who are on the guest list. Remember we said at the beginning that a banquet is a metaphor for that place where God addresses the deepest need of his people. And daily, God, he, he places small and big interruptions into our lives to remind us of our deepest need. Wake up, are you listening? I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, Jesus says. And notice what he says he will do. And I will share, and we will come together, and we will enjoy a meal together as friends. Guys, our deepest need, the answer to our emptiness and busyness, the one person who can complete us is Jesus Christ. And he asked, will you join me for a quiet dinner? Will you join me for a quiet dinner with God? Because I want to talk with you about your sin. But I also want to talk with you about my grace. And I want to talk with you and I want to share with you my vision and values. And, and I want to discuss what you can accomplish in my kingdom. And I want to fill you with my spirit so that you can know fulfillment in yours. Now, I, I want you to remember, guys, remember the setting where Jesus is telling this parable. He's sitting around the table of relig with religious leaders. He's surrounded by religious people. He's surrounded by church people. And he's come to this table, but they have zero room for him. Their cups are already full with hypocrisy and, and self-importance and accomplishments and righteousness. They're already so full. Just like me. And just like you. Oh, you. You made time to come here today. That's great. those people came in and they fought over the best seats and they ignored the hurting outside their door and Jesus interrupted their life and ours and he tells them he tells us the only one that feasted that day the only one that found fulfillment was the man who went home healed because he was the one person who had actually been touched by Jesus so how about you how about we wrap this up and we bring it into your living room? And we just bring it where you live and bring it where we sit and, and we binge on Netflix and Hulu and, and we enjoy our time and our speed and we have everything planned out. The question is, are you willing to let God interrupt your life? Are you willing to allow God to interrupt your life? Are you willing to allow God to interrupt your marriage? Are you willing to allow God to interrupt your family? 
Can he interrupt what you're doing with your business? And can he interrupt what you're, you're doing with your scheduling? And, and can he interrupt with what you're doing with your future plans and with your finances? Can he interrupt with what you're doing with, with how you see life and what you see life being all about? Are you willing to let God interrupt your life? Because the greatest need that you have, the greatest need that I have, it's not about a new house. It's not about another job. It's, it's not about another relationship. The greatest need that we have is to be able to sit down with Jesus Christ and know the salvation that comes only through him. And so guess what? The invitations have gone out. You have actually been invited. You've been invited to the feast. In fact, there was an old hymn that said, All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come, for the table now is spread. Jesus just wants to know if you're ever going to show up. He just wants to know if you're ever going to show up. And he wants to know if you're going to bring anybody with you. Guys, there's so many things that interrupt our lives. And we get all bent out of shape because things doesn't, they don't go the way that we want them to. And I hope that over the last few weeks you've been able to see some things, some principles for the life of Jesus that have helped you understand how not to break up when life breaks in. But, but more than anything, I, I want you to come to a place today where you realize, you know what? The true interruption that God wants to have in my life is where we get face to face and we get down to business and we talk about my sinfulness and we talk about his grace. And if you'd like to have that conversation, I'd love to talk with you about that. You know, we used to, in situations like this, we would sing together and invite people to come. Because of COVID issues, we're not doing it that way currently. But we want you to know that there is a prayer room that's in our back lobby. And if you'd like to talk more about this particular idea, anything that was shared today, one of our elders will be in that prayer room when we're completed. And they would love to have some time spaced out from you to pray with you, to talk with you. You can also send a prayer request. You can text a prayer request to 423-455-5530. You'll get a response back that says, thank you for sending this message to East Brainer. Please put in your text message. You can put in your text message request. And one of our elders today will be able to see that and be able to respond to you. You can use this all during the week. If you send it during the week, it's something that our staff will respond to. But we want to have this opportunity for you. Guys, all things are ready. Let God interrupt your life and come to the feast. Will you join me in prayer? Father, this is a personal one. It's a personal message for, for me. It's a personal message for so many who are here on our campus but also watching online because we, we were so hectic and there's so many things that are going on and, and there's so many things that are interrupting us and then all of a sudden we find out that you want to interrupt our life and will you allow us to slow down just long enough to hear you knocking? And to realize that you're not calling us to, to be more busy. It's not just an invitation. Hey, why don't you come to church? Or, or why don't you join this ministry? But it's, why don't you listen to me? Why don't you let me work on your heart? Why, why don't you let me direct your steps? Why don't you let me talk to you about your sin? Why don't you let me forgive you? Why don't you let me take away the shame? Why, why don't you let me give you new purpose and new hope? Father, we're grateful as... Sean mentioned earlier about the Sabbath rest that your people have enjoyed for centuries. 
And we have paused just for a few minutes today to come here and to be reminded through bread and cup of sacrifice of our Savior. Allow the, the pause that we have had today to overshadow this week. Allow us not to become too busy. Allow us not to become too preoccupied. Allow us not to, to be so bent on what we want to have happen and what we feel is right that we miss those moments, that we miss the people, and that we miss your feast. Father, I thank you for all those who are here, for those who are watching. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us and for the way in which you break in. I pray, Father, that we will feast and discover that you are so good and we may be filled. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together, Create in me a clean heart, O God, as we start to close things out. I've got a couple of housekeeping notes that I'll come back and let you know, but, but first let's keep our hearts and our minds focused on where we've been over the last few minutes, and let's sing together.